0: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead. A whipsaw day in the markets as a collapse in yields wiped out a big rally earlier. This as coronavirus spreads to new places and the FDA sounds the alarm about a possible pandemic. We've got all of that news covered for you. The CDC says worry and be ready. The White House says it's contained and under control. The administration is facing criticism over these mixed messages on the coronavirus. We'll have the latest on that. Plus, we hear from one of the biggest ports in the country, a bank CEO who says things are slowing, and how Hong Kong is handing out money. But we begin with this nice market rebound today. Bob Bassani has the numbers. Are we holding up, Bob?
1: Uh, yes, but just barely. This is a remarkably volatile day. A lot of money moving around. Dow and the SP 500 are on the upside. The Russell, though, has been negative for the last half hour or so. NASDAQ also barely uh, positive. So I want to show you the S- uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We moved 500 points in an hour this morning prior to the open. European news was perhaps things were spreading in Europe, a drop. There's the futures you see here. Uh, and then after the market opened, we were up as much as 400 points, sold off, gave all of it back essentially on headlines from an FDA official saying the coronavirus could be on the cusp of a pandemic. Now, we've heard that word before, but you saw the effect on the market. The point here, we're very volatile. There's an awful lot of money moving around. Let me show you high-volume ETFs. These are all the biggest ETFs out there. The S&P 500, the Russell 2000 ETF, the Russell Midcap, the Triple Qs, all of them huge volume today, more than 100% and we're only halfway through of the trading day. Here's one to watch here that I've been watching, the EFZ. This is the short Europe. When this goes up, it's a bet that European stocks are going to drop. It's been up dramatically the last few days, about 5%. You see, it's basically flat today. If everybody thought we were in the all clear, this would be down 2 3 4%. But it's not. It's down a little bit here today. I think bottom line here, Kelly, is we're getting a lot of action here, and a lot of it is very indeterminate. We don't quite know what's going on yet. Back to you.
0: Yeah, it really feels like a tug of war. We'll have more on that later. Bob, thanks. First, we begin with the latest in the coronavirus outbreak as more countries report outbreaks and the FDA issues a warning. Meg Terrell has the numbers and headlines for us at this hour. Amy Javers has the White House response to this health crisis. Meg, let's start with where things stand right now.
2: Well, hey, Kelly, case numbers worldwide now topping 81,000 with more than 2,700 deaths. Brazil today confirming its first case, a resident who had traveled from Italy. The U.S. State Department increasing its travel advisory for Italy, suggesting increased caution because of the coronavirus outbreak. And Germany's health minister just now saying the country is at the beginning of its own coronavirus epidemic with chains of infection that can no longer all be tracked. And as numbers climb outside of China, they're declining in that country. The World Health Organization saying today it's the first time new cases in the rest of the world surpass those in China. Meanwhile, vaccine development continues at a rapid pace. Moderna's stock up 50 percent this week. On the news, it delivered the first batch of vaccine to the NIH for human testing. But it will still be at least a year, Kelly, until it would be ready for broad deployment.
0: Yeah, in fact, Meg, come on over. And Moderna shares have been up like 40 percent this week. Yeah. To that point, uh, an FDA official, Peter Marks, just said uh, at a conference in New York that the estimate for a three-month Uh, kind of movement on that uh, coronavirus vaccine to enter human trials may be too aggressive. Hmm. He says, we're hoping in the next quarter or two, there will be a vaccine that will be ready to move. How important is this timeline? Because this was supposed to be the one that was kind of quickest if it worked, right? This one is way out of
2: ahead of all the other timelines we've been hearing about, like, record speed getting into human clinical trials potentially. Whether it matters whether we actually get into human clinical trials that quickly depends on what happens with this outbreak. Does it persist throughout the summer? Does it go away? Does it come back after the summer if it does go away? All of that will matter in terms of being able to test this more broadly because if it gets through safety and efficacy phase one testing, it'll need to be tested
0: in a place where there's ongoing transmission to make sure it actually prevents the disease. Got it. All right. Again, Moderna in the middle of this news today. Meg, we appreciate it. Meg Terrell. Let's get to Eamon Javers, who's at the White House. Eamon with the president said to hold a press conference at 6 p.m. Eastern, no doubt to clear up some of the mixed messaging coming out of his administration.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Kelly. We don't know what the president's going to say or even where he's going to say it. They were not giving us a whole lot of detail about that 6 p.m. presser, so stand by for that. Meanwhile, a lot of focus here on Alex Azar, the secretary of HHS, uh, and his role here. I've been talking to some senior administration officials here to get a sense of what's going on. One senior administration official tells me the president is angry about that CDC briefing yesterday that in part sparked that sell-off that we saw in the markets late in the day. The president said to be angry about that, but also, I'm told, wants Alex Azar to continue to lead uh, over at HHS. The White House has been denying reports that they want to bring in some kind of coronavirus czar. So that's what's going on in the leadership front. On the money front, a second senior administration official uh, telling me within the past hour or so that ultimately they're going to end up higher than the $2.5 billion that the president requested for virus funding this week. You saw that request from Senator Schumer up on Capitol Hill for $8.5 billion. It seems inevitable at this point that we're going to go north of what the president asked for. We saw the uh, administration's top infectious disease expert uh, out earlier today on TV, on CNBC, saying that ultimately that $2.5 billion might just be a start. Here's what he said.
4: When the secretary was talking about the $2.5 billion, that was really a start, a down payment. We need that now, and hopefully we'll get it. But I think in the future, as we get into the next fiscal year, there certainly will be additional requirements.
3: So, Kelly, as soon as we get those details and what we expect the president to say tonight, uh, we'll bring them to you as soon as we have them. Right now, though, White House not saying very much. Back over to you.
0: Eamon Politico reported earlier today that the White House might be considering a coronavirus czar, uh, which the White House then denied and said, no, we we have confidence in Alex Azar, head of HHS, for this effort. Um, Does there need to be more of a point person? Do you think this is something that that has been uh, under consideration? Are you getting any signs of that?
3: Look, we're getting some signs that the president is extremely frustrated with what happened yesterday with that CDC briefing. Uh, I'm also told that Alex Azar is safe uh, in terms of keeping his job, uh, but officials not necessarily extending that uh, to the names of other people you might pepper them with and, and whether those people are safe or not. So uh, certainly you're dealing with a frustrated president of the United States right now. Uh, they're working behind the scenes to clean all of that up. Uh, we expect uh, that we might get some more clarity in coming hours, but for right now, it's what they call a fluid situation.
0: Yeah, Eamon, we appreciate it. Eamon Javers at the yeah. White House. The conflicting messages from Washington, not so different from the messages in the market today. This battle between the bulls and bears really playing out with massive volatility. For more, let's bring in Allie McCartney. She's managing director of UBS Private Wealth Management. Ryan Dietrich is chief market strategist at LPL Financial. And David Riedel is president and founder of Riedel Research Group. Uh, before we get into this, though, we do have the results of the five-year auction from the top of the hour. Let's get out to Rick Santelli. Rick, what do we find?
4: You know, Kelly, the auction did not go particularly bad, but I gave it a C minus, so a little below average. Forty-one billion five-year notes. The yield at the auction: one point one five, pretty close to where the when-issued market was trading. Two point four six bid to cover, slightly above average. Sixty-one point five on indirect. You know, basically average. Uh, We had a weak direct bid at 9.8, the weakest since D of 18. Everything about it was generically average, a little less than average, but the point is you said a lot of volatility in the markets. A lot of that has to do with rebalancing, where we're going to see a little ongoing selling of treasuries and a little ongoing buying of stocks. But is that really going to change the coronavirus trends? That's the question on this trading floor. Kelly, back to you.
0: Thank you, Rick. Rick Santelli in Chicago for us. Let's turn to the markets where, uh, Ryan Dietrich, you had a nice stat that maybe we should be uh, reminding people of that You know, three times a year we typically typically see about a 5% correction. Uh, do you think this one will prove to be basically garden variety?
5: Well, we think that very well could be the case. You're right. go back to 1950, three times a year you get a 5% correction. Remember last year how great it was? Stocks up 30%. Two separate 5% corrections. I mean, we weren't shocked. We said about a month ago, you know, Multiples are high. People are complacent. There could be some type of five to ten percent correction. Obviously, coronavirus kicked it off, but you know at this time we think you know maybe around three thousand is kind of where we see some significant support, which would be about, about a ten percent correction. But in you know, LPL research, we still see positives, and we still think this is a bull market. Okay. And this is just normal. Volatility is normal, so expect it.
0: David Riedel, would you be uh, sort of uh, in, you know, putting money to work in a market like this, knowing uh, what's going on with coronavirus? Or do you think it's more serious and requires a change in stance?
6: I think it's a little more serious. I think we now have evidence of infection uh, in the U.S. and a concern about a pandemic in China, obviously, and across the EU. So that's your three largest economies in the world that are probably taking a breather. I don't think the market ever properly priced in Brexit as well. So I think they're using this opportunity to rebalance uh, and be ready for for risk and some some, uh, downturn. We've seen this before with SARS. Uh, It can turn around quite quickly. This one seems to be taking hold. Uh, the, the long gestation period for the for the virus seems to be scaring some people. And once the CDC says they're getting ready for a pandemic, I think we need to listen.
0: And just as a follow on that, David, what would you do investing wise here? Do you, you know, just move to cash? Do you try to get defensive in some what have been really expensive parts of the market? I mean, look at the bond market. These yields are already at record lows.
6: Yeah, I would still stay defensive, though. I would look for uh, high, high-yielding companies. I think I would selectively uh, choose some of the specialty pharmaceutical companies that could benefit from increased focus and spending on, on, on health. Uh, Regeneron and, and uh, Amarin come to mind. Uh, I think there are some opportunities there. Also, I'd look at precious metals. Um, something like P.A.A.S. Uh, provides some, some uh, protection in the silver space. Uh, I think we do need to get pretty, pretty defensive The tipping point that we've seen this week was not the one we were looking for where things are getting better, but we're seeing it globally with more cases outside of China than inside of China. That should be worrisome. It's worrisome to consumers. And it should be worrisome to businesses, businesses and investors as well.
0: Yeah, Ali, even as we sit here, uh, the country of Georgia just reported its first case. It joins Pakistan, uh, Brazil and others today. Then you have a, a major company like Nestle, which has reportedly told staff to halt international travel and curb domestic trips. What do you think the uh, economic impact of all this will be?
7: There's no, uh, there's no answer to this. It's not possible to quantify. This is an exogenous shock to all of us, a personal shock, a, an economic shock, absolutely. But it is exogenous. We still feel that it can be managed. Uh, the market over the last three days basically was trying to digest what it meant that the, the containment had sort of gone beyond the China border mm-hmm. and that we were probably going for what we thought was a supply-side issue that was maybe a quarter long to a supply and demand issue that maybe is longer than a quarter. Totally separately, though, we also are at a very fragile point in the markets because we haven't had the volatility. And we haven't experienced those corrections in so very long that we are really priced for perfection. And so any shock, small or large, is likely to create further
0: vol. So then would you use these sell-offs as a buying opportunity, or do you think there still needs to be further downside?
7: There may be further downside, however, going back to the numbers and the data part of it. When the the fear index, when the volatility index, when the VIX goes above 25, which happens about 15 percent of the time, it was about 28 yesterday, so about the 90th percentile, and you have an economy, a U.S. economy that is on as solid footing as ours is right now, the numbers tell you you have a 15 percent appreciation in the next six months. OK. So if we're, go- if we're looking backward, which we never do, then then, yes, you know, we should. What I would say is we are selectively putting more money into certain markets based on the theory that we had around 2020 performance prior to the coronavirus, which is there will be volatility. We will have a, let's say, five to seven percent year, a sort of average year in the stock markets. And even more so, that we will return to not only dispersion amongst sectors in the S&P, but amongst stocks. Okay. So everything that was said previously around looking for those industries and stocks that are less vulnerable, travel, hotels, gaming, etc., makes sense to me.
0: So you would want the ones that are vulnerable or... or No.
7: Yeah. So I would I would would stick to consumer staples. I would stick to communication services. I would be concerned about tech, both from a valuation perspective and from a location and
0: sourcing perspective. Ryan, let me circle back to you. So you pointed out, look, we often get a couple of these five percent corrections a year. Um, Are you buying in as we sell off then? Um, And what would tell you that, hey, this this might be more of a 10 or 15 percent event?
5: Sure. Well, look at what the credit markets are doing, right? I mean, if the bond market was truly freaking out, we'd see spreads blowing out in high yield and investment-grade corporate. We're not seeing that. I mean, that to us suggests this is more of a run-of-the-mill 5 to 10% correction, And kind of different than the other guests, I guess, we're sticking with the cyclicals. Again, we don't see a recession. We think this is more of an opportunity. And I know tech is overvalued, but we still even weight tech here. But we like the industrials and financials as well, sticking with the cyclical theme. We think when all is said and done, those will provide some alpha, some outperformance when 2020 is all said and done here.
0: This is like so emblematic of the the action today. You know, we were negative, now we're positive again by about 60 points. Uh, We're all over the map here. Thank you all very much. Uh, We really appreciate it today. A lot of different perspectives about what you can do here, right? And Dietrich, David Riedel and Ali McCartney. Coming up here on The Exchange, one prominent economist says this is about to become an economic pandemic. We'll speak with her, talk about what she means by that next. Plus, how are plunging rates affecting banks and corporate borrowers? We'll speak with the bank's CEO. And as we head to break, take a look at shares of SmileDirect today, which are absolutely tanking. The company reported a worse than expected loss, weaker than expected guidance. That's a 27% drop for SmileDirect. It's now just about $8.27 a share. We're back after this. This is The Exchange
1: on CNBC. This is a human tragedy. There's no question, particularly in China. The business side and the economic side, uh, I don't think it's going to be an economic tragedy at all.
0: That was the director of the National Economic Council, Larry Kudlow, doing his best to call markets yesterday says he doesn't think the virus will be an economic tragedy. But my next guest says it's rapidly becoming an economic pandemic. I am joined by Diane Swank. She's chief economist at Grant Thornton. And Diane, welcome. What do you mean by economic pandemic?
8: Well, we know that a health pandemic is global in scope, and although this has not been called a health pandemic yet, it may yet get there, we are seeing a global in scope reaction function to the virus. As countries move to contain the virus, those actions in and of themselves are disrupting global economic activity, and that way it is an economic pandemic that is suppressing global growth and could even push global growth outside of the U.S. negative in the first quarter.
0: Yeah, and I want to get into that. But, but first, you raised the, the vexing problem here uh, for the economy, which is if you want to respond quickly to concern about a new outbreak before you have a ton of information, then you're going to do economic damage no matter what. And at best, you'll help if it's a, a bad, uh, a serious outbreak. And at worst... You've shut everything down for no reason because it's only a mild garden variety one. I mean, what in this modern day and age when we can shut things down, you know, in the blink of an eye, What what should authorities do? How should we be thinking about this?
8: Well, it it really is a political paradox, right? I mean, you have to preserve human life first and foremost. And so, of course, you're going to overreact. And it's one of the things the IMF has already warned about is that the overreaction we're seeing is creating this economic pandemic and it is suppressing global economic growth. It's got much more lingering effects because it also seeds the very fear that we don't want to create, the panic we don't want to create. But it then prevents people from going to public places when they might otherwise do that from making a sale or going out to eat when they might otherwise. And those things are lost for good. They're not something that can just be recouped as the economy comes out of it.
0: So when you say that global growth could go negative, I mean, look, we say a global recession is if we're under 2 percent growth. You know, it's really unusual, I think, for us to go negative. How negative for how long? And importantly, uh, what do you think it means for the U.S., for GDP? Because it seems like now this effect is going to linger on past the first quarter.
8: Yes. Well, I, I said global growth outside of the U.S. So right. if you include the U.S., you get a little extra buoyancy in that because we are the largest economy in the world. And I do think we're going to see growth around one percent in the U.S. in the first quarter snap back a little bit, but not as much as many are hoping in the second quarter, Because I do think there are lingering effects. But, you know, we've got China. It won't print how negative its growth is. Um, but we know China is negative right now. We know that Italy is going to be negative. Europe's going to be flirting with negative numbers. Chi- uh, Canada, our closest trading partner, is Looking like maybe flatlining. Mexico struggling to recover out of a negative year last year. So you've got this sort of If you look at seven of the top 10 economies in the world, Mm -hmm. they could be negative in the first quarter or close to it, flat to negative. So that kind of momentum, sort of that headwind that we're facing is undoing much of the tailwind that was created by um, over 40 central banks cutting more than 70 times last year to set up better growth this year.
0: That is my final question. What do you think then the Federal Reserve should do, if anything, in response to all of this?
8: It's a great question. Policy is not well designed. Um, clearly, fiscal policy can't do much until people go back to the stores and we actually have an event here in the U.S. In terms of the Federal Reserve, they have to wait and see, and that's exactly what you see them doing, monitoring. I was with them all yesterday at the NAEP conference, and they're all talking about monitoring things um, very closely. And it's because if things weaken enough, you do have to lower interest rates, one, to make sure the bond yield, the yield curve isn't inverted, but also to make it easier for companies with that triple Bay rating, over 50% of all bonds Issued, there, issued out there are right on the cusp of being investment grade. Companies that are going to hit be hit by these losses are fragile in their credit conditions, their debt conditions. And so lowering the interest rate does help them a bit. And it also, of course, gives a little extra lift to things like mortgage refinancings. I'm not clear we can keep the housing market booming. There may be a pause if there is a little bit of a panic with the pullback we've seen in the stock market at last. But these are the ways that you could have a little offset. Sure. But the problem is there's no silver bullet to, to this kind of. Shock.
0: Yeah, no, that's for sure. It's amazing how quickly uh, the growth numbers have been uh, just axed by all this. Diane, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Diane Swark, well. chief uh, economist at Grant Thornton. Coming up, take a look here at ground zero for what could be coming to the U.S. We're heading live to the port of Long Beach to see what the lack of shipments from China could mean for the rest of the economy. Plus, from handing out cash, literally hoping central banks step in like we were just discussing, we're going to look at the response around the world to stop this economic contagion. And as we head to break, take a look at shares of Toll Brothers. They're down about 13 percent today after missing on the top and bottom line. The luxury home builder, blaming lower prices, said some closings in California have been delayed because of coronavirus. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The Exchange is back right after this. Welcome back. Interest rates are collapsing on coronavirus fears, and banks are taking a big hit. Both the bank ETF, the XLF, and the regional ETF, the KRE, are down over 7% in just a week. Is that selling justified by what's happening on the ground? Here with me from the view of banks across the country is Ben Beardall. He's Wafed Bank CEO and president. Brent, it's great to see you. Welcome.
9: Thank you, Kelly. Great to be here.
0: Tell us where all of your exposure is in terms of the U.S., and are you, in fact, starting to see a little bit of a slowdown?
9: Yeah, first of all, I think it's important that we step back and consider just the historical magnitude of what's happening. To see the 10-year yesterday, I think it hit 1.32 percent, the all-time low in terms of yield. I think about that myself and I say, who is it that's buying these bonds? Who's willing to lock up their money for 10 years at, for, for only 1.32 percent? And I think the answer to that, of course, is people are fearful. There, there's all kinds of concerns, uncertainty, whether it be the coronavirus, whether it be the election. So people are willing to take gains off the table and lock in that money over, over the long term at 1.32%.
0: Right. So what you're basically saying is, is you just look at the 10-year and get freaked out. And my question to you is, so do the rest of us. So you're the bank CEO. So, yes. So why don't you give, give us a sense, if you can, about what, what the real change in activity is that you're experiencing, if any. I mean, this is the central question. Sure.
9: Yeah, that's the central question. And right now it's premature. We're not experiencing any change in activity, which is the good news. To the contrary, this can be positive for our consumers in terms of being able to refinance at lower rates. If you think about the impact of banks, over the long term, you will have a lower interest. If these, if these low rates persist, you will have lower earnings on long-term assets like 30-year fixed-rate mortgages, like the mortgage bond portfolio they may have. But that will take time to play out. Over the short term, banks have the opportunity to lock in low term. Low long-term interest rates, which can be a good thing. So, as we were talking about the sell-off in bank stocks and all stocks, hmm. it's premature in my mind. Yeah, we, we have not seen that. In fact, the economic activity remains robust.
0: Okay, which is reassuring. And, and like you said, there might be some upside here from the from the refinancings. You know, there's also, in some ways, the uh, impact, the way I should say that low interest rates can juice the bad kind of borrowing, and and that's what I'm thinking about a lot lately. I mean. Yields on muni bonds are at 38-year lows, and we know, you know some of these states, and <laughs> our, our region particularly, are over-indebted, and more borrowing is probably going to hurt uh, more than it helps in the long run. So turning to your corporate customers, uh, are you going to get worried or increase underwriting standards, anything like that you know, as a result here?
9: You know, if this persists over the long term, it's certainly something we will look at, but we're not going to overreact. We're seeing our corporate customers do exactly what everyone's doing in terms of investors. People are stepping back and asking questions as to why and what impact will this have. And, you know, it's, it's easy now to say we may be overreacting, only in hindsight we'll know. But it, we've, we've endured a whole lot in the past, in the past five years, and we've been able to rebound. And if you think about stocks, and if we thought they were fairly valued last week, it's a buying opportunity for true long-term shareholders.
0: All right, Brent, taking the long view and staying positive, we thank you for joining us today.
9: Happy to be here. Thank Fred you.
0: Brett is the CEO of Washington Federal. Now to Sue Herrera for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. The White House denying reports it is going to appoint a coronavirus czar, saying it has confidence in Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Azar outlining the administration's plans at a congressional hearing earlier this morning.
10: We are working closely with state, local and private sector partners to prepare for mitigating the virus's potential spread in the United States, as we expect to see more cases here. On Monday, OMB sent a request to make at least $2.5 billion in funding available for preparedness and response.
0: Pope Francis holding audience in St. Peter's Square in Vatican City and sending his prayers to coronavirus victims. Some of the faithful wore masks. Francis made a point of shaking hands with the faithful. He usually only waves. And Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, showing off her boxing skills at a charity event in London. The wife of Prince William also took part in a sprint race at a fundraiser for budding sports stars. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour, Kelly. Back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much, Sue Herrera. Coming up, the call is getting louder for central banks to step in and stem any global slowdown from coronavirus. But is that really the right answer? We'll explore that when the exchange comes back in two. Welcome back. Let's get a market flash on the cruise liners. We go to Sima Modi for that. Sema Kelly, no doubt the sector that is getting hit the hardest by coronavirus. Take a look at Royal Caribbean now down nine
7: consecutive sessions. Last night, the cruise line revised its guidance for the third time this year, saying cancellations, modified itineraries will have an estimated 90 cent impact on 2020 earnings, canceling in total 30 sailings in Southeast Asia. Other cruise line operators under pressure as well. Take a look at Carnival. It's down about 16 percent just this week. And if if you look at a year to date performance of all three cruise lines, Royal, Carnival, and Norwegian, all down over 30 percent. So they're certainly feeling the pain here as we look for more details on the number of confirmed cases and, of course, the impact on their sailings. Kelly.
8: Yikes.
0: 30 percent drops is, uh, is huge. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. The slowdown in China from coronavirus is already being felt here in the U.S. at our ports. If you take a look at the shipping containers, Coming from and going to China, imports from China to here have slowed over the past several weeks and exports from here to China have stopped completely. For more on the impact to shipping and the broader economy, I'm joined by Noel Hasugaba. He's the deputy executive director at the Port of Long Beach. Noel, welcome and how big a drop in activity overall have you seen?
4: Well, it's a pleasure to be here. The impact so far has been significant. Typically around this year, uh, we project for the first quarter about. Uh, Thirty blank sailings, uh, but so far there are about a total of fifty-three blank sailings from China. So that's that impact will continue to be felt. Yeah. In January we were down six percent. In February we project to be down another six percent year over year.
0: You said uh, blank sailings. You've had about twice as many as normal, and, and blank sailings are basically canceled uh, cargos. Is that right? Explain what those are.
4: That's correct. A blank sailing is a, a, essentially a vessel that was destined to Long Beach that has basically been canceled. So all the cargo that would have been aboard that vessel is no longer coming to Long Beach.
0: You know, people point out that if you're ordering something like Easter merchandise and it doesn't get here in time, you know, it's not like that will be delayed in terms of coming to the economy. It's gone altogether. Uh, I, I have a question for you, though. Where do those goods go? I mean, do we literally return those goods to China? Do they come to the U.S. and are they disposed of somehow? Do you know what happens
4: a lot of those goods end up in the surplus market the secondary market some of those are shipped overseas but the important fact here is the fact that depending on how long this coronavirus uh, situation uh, is prolonged uh, there could be shipments that would just be canceled altogether because they'll miss their hot, they'll miss their season And that's what we're concerned about. Right now we're looking at the immediate impacts to our cargo and the economy. We're also now thinking about the secondary impacts and what that could mean for the national economy.
0: Sure. So you said you're down about 6% year over year in January and essentially in February. You expect that to continue next week as we get into March?
4: We do, and so far, with the number of blank sailings that we're anticipating through the first quarter, uh, we think that we're going to end the first quarter here in Long Beach about 12 percentage points behind last year.
0: And there's a ripple effect from the trucks, for example, and the railroads that might be positioned to take this stuff into the U.S. economy, and now kind of are left empty-handed, right? What about the effect there? What about the effect on workers at your port as well?
4: Well, goods movement in general really is the economy in motion when goods stop moving, it has a a significant and immediate impact to the economy. As it relates to the supply chain, for instance, just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a decline in truck operations to the tune of 20%. On the rail side, we're seeing a decline in rail activity in and around our port to the tune of 25%. And with the blank sailings that have been announced, we expect that impact to continue to grow in the weeks ahead.
0: No, no, one quick final question. Why is it that are the exports, the stuff leaving this country, why has that gone to zero? Is that because the Chinese economy is shut down? uh, Or is that because the U.S. uh, uh, exporters are changing their behavior in in a different manner?
4: I think it's a a combination of both. But I think the driving factor is China's ability to handle those containers as they arrive. The fact that the Chinese uh, economy is is, and their ports are essentially at gridlock, it, it makes no sense for exporters to ship their their shipments overseas and that's what we're seeing so far
0: all right the double-edged sword noel thank you for joining us please keep us posted
4: we will noel hasagaba
0: is with the port of long beach Coming up, look at stocks. They are now at session lows. The, the Dow has been all over the map today. We are up as many as 461 points. We went negative about 90 minutes ago. We were then back positive by 200, and now the Dow is down about 70 points. There are reports of new cases of the coronavirus that crop up around the world. Uh, we're going to get a trader's view of how to play all of this volatility next. And as we head to break, take a look at some of the most searched tickers on CNBC.com today. The Dow simply tops the list as it's bang on 27,000 right there followed by the 10-year yield, which is is now at 1.317%. Apple, Tesla, Disney round things out. We're back on the other side of this. Welcome back to the exchange, everybody. We're at session lows right now. The Dow has now dropped 150 points. That's more than a 600-point swing today. Uh, Yields are also at their low points. Let's bring in Steve Grasso to talk more about this. He's director of institutional sales at Stuart Frankel and a CNBC contributor. Uh, Steve, we were trying, uh, fighting for a comeback today, but now it looks like we're going to extend the declines.
11: You know, Kelly, whenever you see uh, headlines come across, you have tape-reading algorithms that wind up pushing the market around. So you get a positive one, the market will rally a few handles. But obviously, we've had nothing but negative headlines. I didn't like the way the market rallied a little bit too early today. So we were uh, a little bit susceptible to any negative headline that was going to be coming out to the market selling off here. And we've had nothing short of... A couple of negative stuff that's just pushing the market lower.
0: Sure. No, and, and that's what it's all about, Steve, isn't it? We are completely geared to the spread of coronavirus and to the way that officials are handling it. And the the, the big question is is economically. I mean, you guys probably have even thought about it down at the stock exchange. What's going to happen if you have to stay at home for a little bit and work from home like the CDC was talking about yesterday?
11: Right. So, so obviously, the people in New York Stock Exchange would never stay home. But I, I hear you. The rest of the population could have that. You could be looking at schools. You could be looking at what GDP is. But, Kelly, the way I look at it, doesn't that really foster a hockey stick-like recovery? If you think about it, wouldn't there be just pent up demand if everyone is sitting home and you almost get a, a forced technical recession right. here- where it's, it's not as if people don't have the money. It's not as if people don't have jobs. Right. So they wind up staying indoors, not spending their money and spending it on certain other things, whether it's Netflix or Amazon. Sure, sure. But then once they get back out, they spend it.
0: The only thing though, Steve, is this is, it's not like a hurricane that happens all at once. You know, as it spreads, each community is going to have a few people down and then a few, so one's going to be rebounding while another is going in quarantine. You know what I mean? So I just wonder if that rolling effect is going to mitigate perhaps the downside, but also the rebound.
11: Sure, that that could affect it too, but just think about this, Kelly. What I keep relying on is just investing through this. They don't talk, they talk about the people that have died, but they don't talk about the people that have recovered, and you still have 97% or 98%. Of people that recur, uh, that, that, that just recover from this as if it was a cold or a normal flu. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's what I'm concentrating on. That's what I'm investing through. Obviously, uh, we're going to have these little speed bumps throughout the whole process. All right.
0: Happy Ash Wednesday, sir. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank Steve you. Grasso on the floor of the NYSE. The CBC warning Americans should prepare for a coronavirus outbreak, but the White House taking a different tack saying the virus is contained and the necessary precautions have been taken. The political impact behind those mixed messages is next. Here's a look at the Dow. The uh, biggest losers on the exchange include Walt Disney down 4% on a CEO change, obviously, Uh, but also Exxon and Chevron are down 2% as crude as you just saw on your screens. Below $49 a barrel. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. The handling of coronavirus here in the U.S. is starting to come under some scrutiny. The CDC warning Americans should prepare for the virus to spread here at home, calling it a question of when, not if. But White House Chief Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow came on our show yesterday and had a different take.
1: We have contained this. We have contained this. I won't say airtight, but pretty close to airtight. We've done a good job in the United States.
0: President Trump also contradicting the CDC, saying the U.S. is, quote, in great shape. Could the mixed messaging hurt the president's credibility with voters as we inch closer to the election? For more, we turn to Stephanie Miller, co-founder of Sandhill Strategy and CNBC.com political finance reporter Brian Schwartz. It's great to see you both. Um, By the way, not much commentary about the debates last night. Coronavirus came up a little bit. Um, Is this an issue, Brian? I'll I'll turn to you first, where you think that the this becomes a campaign issue? Is it something the Democrats can use as a weapon?
10: I think it did, in a way, last night at that debate. I mean, it was brought up by Mike Bloomberg, the billionaire currently running for president. He was the first one to bring that up in that debate. He's now out with a new TV ad kind of highlighting uh, what he believes are the flaws from the President, president Donald Trump's administration in handling uh, the coronavirus. And so I think, you know, kind of in a way, Bloomberg is leading this effort at least he's trying to. So he's going to come off as this person, this candidate who's bringing this up sure, in, the, in the larger the manager, message. That's right. I, exactly. And so, you know, I think it is going to be an issue now going forward. It's going to be an issue for Donald Trump. How is it? Stephanie,
0: how kind of given the way D.C. works, should we expect the response to go from here? There were a political report earlier today that there was going to be a coronavirus czar, which the White House has vehemently denied. But the result has been a lot of mixed messaging from these different agencies.
12: Yeah, so the number one thing the White House needs to do is make sure the economy keeps humming. If Trump wants to be there in 2021, he cannot have a down economy leading into the election. And so, you know, having a czar or a task force, as they reply, is what they would rather have having, um, you know, putting more money into the economy to fight this, all these things that they can do to help the economy keep humming and help demonstrate that they're doing something. The real issue here, and like thinking about the Bloomberg angle, Trump only has downside with this issue, whereas all the other Democratic challengers have only upside. They can criticize the president, but they don't have to actually right. do anything. Maybe President Trump should make
0: the coronavirus czar Michael Bloomberg. That would be a wonderful twist. <laughs> Say, hey, you know, yeah, you're right. You'd be very good at managing this. Why don't you manage this one? Uh, maybe, maybe neutralize the threat. Um, But to your point about the economy, we know the first quarter, Stephanie, is probably going to be about one, one and a half percent at at best. Maybe now it's going to linger in the second quarter and be a hit. So even if we rebound in Q3, is that going to be enough or? Just as long as it's not down, right? Like as
12: long as the economy continues to grow even modestly is probably okay. What we don't want is to actually see a contraction. It would
10: be interesting if Democrats keep hitting him on making cuts to the CDC, if that's going to be brought up Uh, at least proposed cuts to the CDC. That's right. If that's going to keep being brought up, uh, is the market going to get a little skittish with that? I mean, is that a sign that maybe President Trump's going to have a little bit more of a problem with the reelection going forward? And will the markets respond in kind? I'm not sure. I mean, we've seen what the markets done in the last few days. Uh, But if Democrats are going to keep bringing up what he's proposed to make cuts to the CDC, it's been millions of dollars in in proposals in certain pieces of it, that could be a problem for him with this re-elect And the timing of this... For Donald Trump is not good. I mean, in terms of his re election, it's not because the the candidates just go on the stump or create ads like Mike Bloomberg is doing and hit him for this over and over again, bringing up those points that I just made.
0: Quick question, Brian, since you're here. We know Elizabeth Warren, after the uh, Las Vegas debate, did a lot of fundraising, yeah. uh, maybe helped her position. Where are we in terms of their ability, other than Mike Bloomberg, to have the kind of money to throw into those campaign ads or those attacks or, or what have you against the president?
10: Well, does. that's the question, right? Are they going to have the resources to really do this? Bloomberg's one of them. I think Joe Biden will also have enough money uh, as we get into Super Tuesday in the, in the coming week uh, that he will have enough money to do this. But somebody like Elizabeth Warren, you mentioned, she had to take a $3 million line of credit uh, coming into February in order to keep her campaign going. She's used only $400,000 worth of that credit, but still, the, the action of taking it is wow. still symbolic. I mean, it, it, she is going to have a little bit of a problem with fundraising. I mean, the, the, the writing's on the wall here for Elizabeth Warren and the other candidates, Senator Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg. Are they going to have enough money to put up this, this kind of attack against Donald Trump with this coronavirus, these coronavirus issues, and
0: where are we on South Carolina and Joe Biden's prospects there? It's make or break, right? That's right.
10: Yeah. I mean, that's supposed to be his firewall. He looks to be in a good position. He did very well in the debate last night. Yeah. Uh, Jim Clyburn's come out with his endorsement, the big uh, endorsement I, for Biden. Yes. So that's a good, that's a good thing for him.
12: Yeah, they, I mean, the latest polling though shows he's about neck and neck with Sanders. And the interesting thing we've seen at Sand Hill as. That the first three primary elections, the undecideds tipped towards Sanders. Yep. So, the, some of the one of the last good polls I saw to South Carolina had 18 percent undecideds. Wow. And so, if 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 Sanders trounces Biden unexpectedly, it's probably over for Biden.
0: And what do you think, Stephanie, final point here? Investors need to know if uh, if it's over for Biden and Sanders does become a candidate, the, the presumptive candidate. Yeah,
12: I mean, so I've been speaking with institutional investors over the last 24 hours. They think a lot of this sell-off is obviously coronavirus, but part of it is a reaction to Sanders doing really well in Nevada. I think the market will certainly not, <laughs> not react well, um, but I still think Trump can beat Sanders. So... You, we have to moderate the final outcome
0: to that probably. And and we'll see how the economy goes in the meantime. Yes as we track coronavirus, thank you both. Thanks for being here today, Stephanie Miller, Brian Schwartz. We appreciate it. Coming up, countries are grappling with both containing coronavirus and mitigating its economic impact or trying. Some are calling for central banks to step in. Others say the Fed isn't the right medicine for this ailment. We'll discuss that next. And as we go, here's the latest on crude oil, which has lost all of its gains and is now at session lows, down two and a half percent. It's down nine percent this week. And WTI is just around 48.60. We're back in two. are scrambling to find ways to deal with the economic shock of the coronavirus. For example, Hong Kong says it will give out $1,000 cash to adult citizens for a total payout of about $9 billion. Other countries are hoping stimulus measures from the government or central banks will do the trick. Joining me now is Bill Lee. He's chief economist at the Milken Institute, former deputy division chief of the IMF, during which he served as its representative in Hong Kong during the SARS epidemic. Uh, Bill, it's good to see you. How serious do you think coronavirus is?
13: Oh, it's a very serious issue. And because it's a virus we've never seen before. But I think what's happening in the market so far is that it's a vote of no confidence in the public health care system globally, uh, particularly in China and also in Europe. But I think the evidence uh, so far shows that the U.S. isn't doing so badly. We've had all cases come in and they're all primary infections with no evidence of secondary infections. So I think there's a strong vote of confidence in the numbers, uh, except for that mis-messaging that came from the CDC yesterday about the U.S. uh, system.
0: Right. I mean, is it your expectation that that the virus won't really spread here or that you're just not that worried about if it does?
13: I have some confidence that so far our screening methods and the public health care system, the, the procedures they put in place, have been pretty effective despite the fact that we've had all this uh, this, this travel that's come into the United States. Going forward, uh, what I don't have faith in is whether Italy and Europeans' uh, systems will be able to contain it so that the flow from there might actually slip through our system. And I think right. what I'd like to hear from the president is how do we can strengthen it.
0: Right, absolutely. And so we earlier had a, an economist who says this has... It feels like an economic pandemic because people have to respond to something even if it doesn't happen here. And I can tell you anecdotally, everyone's talking about what to stock up on and what to do if you have to stay, stay at home and work and all of these things, Bill. So it looks like that economic impact at least could be pretty large.
13: Fear is our greatest uh, problem right now, and I think the fear has to be something that is contained by policy. Uh, for example, I think one of the best things the Fed can do instead of reducing interest rates would be for Randy Quarles to come out and say all small businesses can have uh, a regulatory forbearance. Hmm. If they are, are overdue on their loans, it's okay. If they can't meet payrolls, we'll, we'll find a way of, of tidying them over. This is, will restore business confidence so that whatever shock hits them on the supply side, they'll be able to live through it.
0: That's brilliant. They should do that. Is that something they could actually pull off?
13: In fact, they can do it with one announcement, right, because the Fed and all the, the banking regulators are in charge of l- regulatory forbearance. Uh, and if the credit card, if the uh, credit rating agencies can come out and say, uh, oh, by the way, your credit rating uh, will not be harmed if you are delayed in your, in your payments uh, during this crisis period, even better. And those are the procedures I think the Chinese are going to have to put in place to save their small businesses as well as their supply chain starts to get unlocked.
0: You know, if I were president, I think that was a pretty good suggestion, except I can't really tell the Fed what to do, theoretically. So what do you, you know, President Trump is going to come out uh, this evening. Um, aside from the measure the Fed could take, is there something that the president could do uh, to similarly instill confidence?
13: Well, unlike what the, the Hong Kong authorities did, which is to give everybody a uh, $1,000, uh, uh, which will likely be saved, what, what the president can do actually is to say that we stand behind... Uh, strengthening our public health care system. Whatever money they need is available to them, and we're going to open up the spigots. And I think that's the one message that is needed to reassure the public that our health care system and public uh, safety system uh, is top priority.
0: What do you mean by opening the spigots? And to what extent, w- when you say public health care system, does that apply to everybody? Or is that just one piece of the U.S. healthcare system? Well,
13: for example, there's a lot of screening procedures that were put in place during SARS. Uh, you, you, you never went into any airport without having some kind of temperature screening device. What we need to do is strengthen those and to talk about uh, like pulling out people who will show evidence of some kind of flu symptoms to be able to examine them and test them for the virus. Uh, and those are the kind of uh, procedures that are really done at the local and state level so that the federal coordination of those efforts can be, can be improved and the funding of those, uh, of those facilities can also be, uh, uh, you know, Improved.
0: Yeah. Great thoughts, Bill. We have just a second left, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Ten-year yield is it going below one
13: percent? <laughs> There's no recession in sight. Uh, I, you know, the manufacturing is a small part of the U.S. economy, and even though so the service uh, PMIs went down, it all came from transportation. So, forget this recession scenario, please.
0: All right. I know you're not really going to address. I, you know, I know you're not a prognosticator. <laughs> you Can't answer that. That, but it's just. I, I don't want to work low. at a city.
13: I no longer work at Citi as their chief economist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bill, it's good to hear from you. Thank you so much. A lot of good uh, ideas and concepts. That's Bill Lee. We really appreciate it. That does it for The Exchange today. Thank you for joining me. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.